1: Hello, Joe. Hello there, Kippy. Um, How does it feel to do a pro bono podcast?
2: Good. It's good. I like putting this much time into something that doesn't really reward me with anything but time with you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're doing it for the people. This is God's work. I feel like we're doing God's work. We are. We
1: are are giving back. We are giving back. Um, hopefully karma, we're building up nice karma for something to happen.
2: I wish I could stuff the ballot box. I wish I could just download it, download it again, download it again, download it again. I've, I've, I've asked all of my friends to, to download, listen, subscribe, whatever the hell you do with podcasts. And I'm so sick of catching my wife. It's almost like she's cheating on me. When I get into her car and on the – she's got a – whatever the electric car thing. I can always blank on this Tesla. Tesla. She's got a Tesla. (laughs) Maybe there's a reason because I'm not – I don't know that I'm a huge fan. But uh, so every time I get on – it's like finding somebody's underwear. Right. Somebody else's underwear in the bedroom. Listening to another podcast. She's listening to uh, Bateman's podcast.
3: Oh. And I'm like –
2: I used to get in her car – and it used to be my underwear on the stereo. Now yeah. it's Bateman's underwear on the stereo, and it's yeah. starting to really piss me off.
1: Wow! So this is—it's consistent. Meaning, this isn't just a one-off. Not now. now no. you're, it's, you're noticing more and more. It's
2: no. And she's walking happening. around with her headset, you know, her her earbuds in, and smiling. And I'm thinking maybe mm. she's listening to something that you and I have created. And I grab her no. phone, and there it is. There he is.
1: Well maybe we need to inspire and motivate some of our listeners to help us grow this thing meaning we just you know call on them to really get after it to help us grow to create accounts to go viral somehow and then maybe if we can you know pinpoint some of these listeners who are helping us out then we can have them on the show we can bribe them You know what I mean? It's like yeah,
2: I'm I'm not above paying somebody to somehow in the end get it back coming my way. So
1: can we pay uh, pay to have listeners? You know what I mean? Like you know you can do bots for Instagram. Like you can pay certain companies and you can get forty thousand followers, and it's all bots. I wonder if they have bot listeners for for there should be.
2: And do here's my question: Do they understand English? No, because they're not real. So can you talk bot? What if what if we change the lives of 25,000 yeah. bots? Oh, well, then we're really onto something. Bots with daddy issues.
1: hmm <laughs> That would be I good. have Maybe. not talked
2: to my dad in 20 years. It's really hurting my feelings. And <laughs> I live right around the corner from where he is stationed.
1: I have had many dads. About three thousand people had a hand in bringing me to life,
2: not one I of them know none of them has ever reached out <laughs> to me since Daddy, where are you <laughs> <laughs> i'm in i I think we could be on to something.
1: How about you and I just do this show as robots
2: from <laughs> <laughs> Tell us Pete Holmes, what are the things that make you tick Pete All Holmes. The- <laughs> The good robots go down at the end. Right.
3: It is a so exciting
2: to be here with you on this podcast. <laughs> Hello,
1: Pete Holmes. What are you doing with your life these days?
2: How many people have we had turn off this podcast in the last 45 seconds?
1: Well, if 10 of them did, then we have no one listening.
2: Oh. So basically, this is a three-way call. and we're just (laughs) (laughs) right we're just conference calling right only the government is listening to it well you know what and instagram gives
1: it you know who gives a shit joe because this has done a lot for you and i you know what i mean it's brought us together like we've never been together before so that's what this is about this isn't about anything else you know this is about us
2: so I got back on Instagram, which was a good way to remind myself today, as we record this on the nineteenth, that it's your sister's birthday. What did you get her? It's my sister's birthday. Um, Is it that
1: I? Songs? I got her nothing. Um, we don't get each other birthday presents. I mean, I, that that I think. Did you text her or called? Her? did you call yeah, her? Yeah, I texted her. I texted her this morning. You know, it's funny because do, I'm do. i doing the Zoom uh, right now with you and I on my phone, and my text messages come up, and my dad, Mr. Bill Hudson, it just went, Zzz, and it says, tell your sister happy birthday and that I love her.
2: Will you pass that forward? I will. Well, how will she respond if you had to be a betting person? She will probably say, "Oh my God, that's so
1: sweet." You know, probably something like that. Something like that. Yeah.
2: So, so now he, you're the go between. Between, yeah. Your dad I mean, and well, this Kate. is what's
1: happening since I've established a relationship with my dad. Albeit, it's not an in-person one; it's via text, and sometimes we talk here and there. But I'm getting. We get texts on birthdays, and he hits me up on this and that. So he, he's more active, you know, for sure, than he ever yeah. has been. Well, good. Which is nice.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's nice. What if, what if I pay for an all-expense-paid trip for you, Kate, and your dad, Bill, to go to Disneyland? Mm-hmm. Would you go?
1: You know, it's funny you even say that, because some of my great memories with my dad and Cindy Williams, who was my stepmom... At the time, Shirley,
2: aka Shirley from Laverne
1: and Shirley. That's right. That's right. We we um we went to Disney World.
2: Oh, the real had
1: an amazing time, and there's pictures that I have. I was just even looking at. This is all weird. This is we're even having this conversation because I'm I did redid my garage, so I'm cleaning a lot of shit out, and I was just looking at these pictures of us at Disney World uh, three days ago. It's crazy wow. that we're even bringing this up. So, yeah, I mean, I think we would enjoy that. It might be nostalgic and probably bring back some memories.
2: How old were you when you went to Disney World with Cindy? And is was Kate a part of this?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe ten.
2: Oh, okay, something like that. Ten or okay.
1: eleven? I something like that. You know, I can't. And at can't that quite time, but you your know, dad and Cindy were yeah.
2: living in the house that Howie yes. Mandel bought.
1: Yes, they lived in Howie Mandel's house and then we lived in, my mom built this house that then my dad took in the divorce. Really cool house. We lived there as well. We were there and then we were in Hidden Hills. And then my dad had this little house in Palm, Palm Springs or Palm Desert that I remember very well. But it was weird, man. It's weird floods of memories going on right now. But uh, but you know what's so weird is my dad has has actually called me a few times, and I haven't picked up, and uh, I have not called him back, and it's weird. I, I'm like, I, I feel like the roles have been reversed. <laughs> right. I don't know why. I just I feel like I just I, for whatever reason I I, I don't have the capacity the brain capacity right now to just to get into a conversation it's i don't know it's weird
2: i feel like you have to have the end-all be-all in-person conversation which i feel like you've kind of had and then after that just have a normal conversation hey what are you oh we do we
1: do dude you know i I don't want to fucking go over all my shit but i am still just dealing with coming off of this stupid antidepressant and it's it's uh it's been weeks depressing. now, and I think I'm getting better, but it's just fucking me up. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to deal with anything at all. You know, I I don't
2: want to have conversations. I I just don't um, want to engage. It seems like a perfect recipe for somebody that uh, that has two podcasts.
1: Well, you know what's funny is I get on here and I kind of weirdly come to life. You know. I, yeah. I, I I I I do. I don't know why. You know, these things are always interesting. It's you know, it's like, oh, here comes the time we gotta go to the podcast, fuck, and then the minute I get on, I I'm enjoying myself immediately.
2: I find that though with most everything in my life, where you're dreading the arrival of some appointment. And I get this mm-hmm. all the time. If I agree to go speak at a breakfast or I agree to go you know, whatever. Go play golf even sometimes with people that I'm not close friends with. And I don't really look forward to it. But the minute you get there, that all goes away and you come to and you do your yeah. thing. And it's, and you're probably better off for having done it. So I, yeah, yeah, it's just, I think we're all that way. No, I know. I
1: know. I'll, I got to snap out of this shit soon. Can't take it anymore. <laughs> uh my problem sorry my it's
2: okay problem. don't be sad
1: i know but there's I took pete. The listening like shut the fuck up dude hi. oliver hey pete hi. what's up man
2: hi how's it going i'm good how are you brother i'm good uh we're just you- going over oliver's uh
1: My Issues issues coming
2: off off an antidepressant and the fact that he doesn't really want to engage with anyone, which is perfect when you're co-hosting a podcast uh, with somebody and a guest is about to arrive. So, uh, Pete, thank you for coming on. Thank you for uh, joining us here on Daddy Issues. Where are we finding you today? Is this your little uh, Zoom podcast heaven that you've created during the
0: pandemic? My wife calls this the garbage room. Uh, It's my (laughs) office. (laughs) She is totally right. It is disgusting. I actually moved. There was an iPad stand right here that has two towels on it but I just moved over there to spruce up the joint for you guys. It, well, it's is that appreciated. An, it, is that
1: an infrared sauna or a wine cellar? I can't my tell. Man,
0: my man. My man. Not too depressed. Not too depressed. <laughs> He's coming too. <laughs> Not too depressed. I don't want to make light of going off an antidepressant. That's, that's a bold <laughs> journey you're on. But that is a uh, that is an infrared sauna, which I always oh, yeah. have to say, um, isn't that fancy. It sounds fancy, but it's it's not as fancy as it sounds meaning. You know, uh, I think a lot more of them than think they could. You know what I'm saying. Yeah.
2: We have one, and and I, I don't like the idea of not like totally going nuts sweating. Like I, I always like getting out of a steam room because you're just drenched in sweat. I get out of my infrared sauna. And I'm kind of warm. I'm not really yeah. sure what kind of benefit I got of sitting in that thing for the last half hour. That's, you, wait, that's you, how I feel.
0: You have one and you don't like it?
2: Uh, yeah. I don't really
0: gonna, use it. I'm, like gonna, I I'm gonna go ahead and throw two things at you, Mr. Half Hour. Turn okay. up the heat and stay <laughs> <Yes>. in longer. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But no, I, I know what you mean. It's it's a dry heat, it's not a wet heat. See, I'm a sweater. But you can. I'm I'm like you, but covered in a tempur like material.
2: Okay. So like mm. I
0: think I'm just going to sweat more and get hotter and, and more uncomfortable than you. You seem fit. You seem ready uh. for the local news. Nah. Uh, you got a <laughs> jawline. Um, so <laughs> I when I do yoga, for example, which I haven't done in years, obviously, I have to put down towels and mats because I I sweat real easy. So five minutes in that thing, I'm I'm super wet. Okay, <laughs> mm. all right, Good. Yeah, there you go. That, maybe that that's comes the, from being six
2: six. I can't believe you're 6'6". That's, that's the sound
1: bite. That's the we're yeah. using, by the way. I get five out of there. In I'm that super super wet. Super wet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> super dupe wet. Oh, yes, Josh. Amazing. I hate
1: to inter. I hate to interrupt, but um, ah, great. Is there
3: any way you can record on your end, Pete? Wow, sure. Look at that,
1: um, Josh. God, he's never been that <laughs> assertive ever. That's crazy, dude. And also, can you do the
2: show in the sauna the whole time?
0: (laughs) I bet it would sound great.
2: Yeah, be great. Pouring and pouring sweat. I
0: like like that all of that charisma I was manufacturing wasn't being recorded.
2: Oh, it's being recorded, and we will use all of this. Don't worry. That's just natural. It's not manufactured.
0: No, I definitely you definitely kick it on a little bit. If I talked this way all the time, it would kill everyone I know.
1: Um, Yeah, it's a good. it's, it's actually a great. It's a great point. You know, I mean, why do we feel like we have to get it up for everything that we do? You know, not just our women, but like, you know, it's it's like you come onto these things, you get a microphone in front of your face and it's like, hey, two, two pitch I, outside. Try the corner, miss
0: I just did a podcast with my wife before this. We do the mine comes out twice a week and the Friday episode this week, it's coming out on a Monday, but the Friday we did it. Um, uh, whatever, coming out today. Sorry, I'm trying mm-hmm. to get the quick time going so I can record yes. my end for your sound guy. Um, your, your human divine soul who I just called his Yeah,
2: No, he's a sound guy who now has found his badass side who wants to inject.
1: Yeah, he is. You know, the reason why Josh, our sound guy, is, is a little on edge is because he was trying to go off of his meds as well. Couldn't handle it. He's a fucking quitter. And we had to go back on.
0: Have you have you thought? I don't mean to fix it if this is just to feel it, but I love uh, milk thistle. Have you ever tried milk thistle?
1: Mm-mm. No. That's a, is that good? That's a,
0: it's a great natural anti-anxiety. Okay. Um, I'm sure it would have some anti-depressive qualities as well, properties. It's a real game changer. and it, it works well enough that I won't take it if there's something that I think I need to be anxious for. <laughs>
1: Wow. That's interesting. So like what? What's an example of something that you want to be anxious for?
0: All sorts of things. I I actually think anxiety is an underrated uh, fuel. It's not my favorite fuel. But if you're about to do like a good example is if I'm doing a stand up taping, like a special, if I'm not anxious, that's what will make me worried. Not anxious Mm -hmm. will make me worried that it's going to be bad. Because the best stand-up sets I've ever had in my life are usually the ones after a bad one. And, and the mm. reason is you've had the taste of a bad one in your mouth, and that sort of makes you anxious to win it back. You want to like prove that you can do this strange thing that really is reliant on the last time you did it. So you want to be in a deficit going into stand-up. You don't want to be the king of the world.
1: No, t- totally. And, and I guess it's the way that you channel that anxiety, because if it if you let it debilitate you, you know, then you're fucked. I mean, if you're using it as actual fuel to be better, then yeah, I mean, I can see how that...
0: That's the bell curve. Like too little isn't good. Just enough is right. And mm-hmm. like too much is also debilitating. So you want to find that good spot for you. But like you, what we were saying before we started is like, the podcast I did with Val this afternoon, I started by saying you know what? I'm always trying to get jacked and get excited and drink coffee and all these things to turn it on for a podcast. And I was just like, I'm not going to do that this time. I don't want to like force it into gear. I'm just going to be who I am. I'm a little mm-hmm. bit lower energy today. I, I had my second Moderna shot a couple of days ago and I was just, all I'm really feeling is just a little bit of fatigue, a little fogginess. I feel totally fine to be honest, but I was like, I'm not going to pretend like I don't feel that way, and I think what you're picking up on, Oliver, is that that is always the best thing to do: is to be authentic and to just be like, nobody wants someone pretending to be confident, right? Wants someone who's actually certain in themselves. Like, but you can't fake that, and faking it is actually moving away from it.
1: <laughs> yeah, And I think I think people can read that inauthenticity as well. You know what I mean? What is your podcast with your wife? What's the, what's the premise of it?
0: It's the same as mine. It's just the yeah. Friday edition. Uh, Wednesday is You Made It Weird and, and Friday is We Made It Weird. And oh, cool. honestly, it applies to this podcast is because we have a baby. We have a two-and-a-half-year-old baby who uh, I don't have to say but is the light of our lives. And we don't get a lot of time to talk. And one of the great things, and I hope you guys find this to be true in your podcast, one of the great things about having a podcast is that you schedule human connection.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And human connection is super important. Being isolated and being cut off is actually worse than heart disease. It's worse than obesity. It's, worse than, it's, it's like a cause of disease and death um, very, very high up there. So we noticed that we didn't have a lot of date time obviously in the quarantine and we weren't getting a lot of time to talk about deep things, which is what we like to do. Um, we wouldn't change it. Obviously we love being with our baby, but it's sort of hard to be like, what is consciousness when you're, when your baby is about to flush your keys down the toilet. <laughs> so we, we were like, look, our nanny comes on Thursday. I say nanny. It's really, a, she, she's like a babysitter. She doesn't like mm-hmm. to live with us or anything. She comes on Thursday for four hours, and we were like, okay, during that time, it's our date time, we're gonna record a podcast. And the good side of what we were talking about, the feeling of having to turn it on, that can actually that's also a bell curve. If you start getting turning it on so much that you become phony, that's bad. Mm-hmm. But when you're being recorded, the pitch is is brought up to a certain frequency where you're really listening to the person and you're really engaged because you know it's gonna be recorded and released. So it becomes like a really good life hack to have a great conversation, have a great date. Um, I noticed the same phenomenon when when like the Boston Globe came to my house they were doing a, a, a profile on me and they interviewed my mother. Suddenly, my mom was talking like she was 25 years old. She's 75 years old. She was like lighting up because she was being recorded. There's Mm -hmm. something about the human animal that you go, tell me about your son. Suddenly, she did remember the time I was born. You know, like if you asked her on a Tuesday at a Target, she doesn't remember. But if you put the recorder out and, and the urgency is there, it's like performing over a fire with no net.
1: That's a great, great point. And I've actually said this before. I have another podcast with my sister. And, you know, we've had an interesting relationship as siblings. It's now really a a close, very close relationship. But I am able to be more vulnerable with her and tell her the things that I normally wouldn't be able to when the microphone Mm -hmm. is in front of my face. It's really uh, an interesting phenomenon, actually. It's
0: the therapy phenomenon. Why... Would you admit things to a doctor that are lies you're telling yourself? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. because there's an impartial listener, it really is a hack of the human animal. It, it you know, the the church, I'm not Catholic, but they have confession. It's a similar sort of thing. Why, if someone's wearing a certain collar of clothes in a certain sort of booth, do you feel okay saying certain things that you wouldn't tell anyone else? You know, you know it's a guy named Jerry at the end of the day, it's a mm-hmm. guy named Jerry. Mm-hmm. Eats mm-hmm. triscuits, you know. He he takes poops and all that stuff. But like, mm-hmm. we get same with your therapist. He eats triscuits. He takes poops. He jerks off or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And but for some reason, when he says I am a therapist, you say, "Oh, I can't get hard if I don't think about one of the fish from Finding Nemo." Like for some some reason, you you're able to do it. And like we can either just marvel at how weird that is, or we can lean into it. And that's what my wife and I are doing. Like we could say, like, is this narcissistic? Is this perverse in some way that we need to record our dates and release them? I think it's mutually beneficial. People like listening to it, and we get juice out of knowing that there's a crowd listening. Yeah. And beyond that,
2: it's Oliver and I were talking about this literally before you came on, that even if this podcast has not brought us riches— it's made us have a weekly conversation and drawn us closer. So to then take that with your wife, and as you said, you've got a two-and-a-half-year-old girl. I've got, I'm, I've got older daughters. I've got three-year-old twin boys. The last part of the day when you're most worn out is when you finally get a second to yourself. Now you're trying to share that with your spouse, and it's like, ah, I just don't have the energy to get into anything. So if you make a weekly date to almost do a therapy session with microphones and be be confident enough that what you're talking about translates to other people's lives. I mean, you're you're getting benefit every way you look at it. So I think it's brilliant. I it's yeah. making me think I need to do one with my wife even if we don't
0: hit play and record on the thing. I I recommend <laughs> it absolutely. And and it's funny that you say that it's like at the beginning, I'm sure you can relate, you think it is an act of confidence like, boy, I hope people relate to this. And then the longer I've done my own show, I've noticed that the more esoteric I get, the more specific about my own psychology I get, um, there's, there's this great relatability to the specific, for some reason. Like I, I, I thought I was so alone in being like a guy who got married when he was 22 or grew up religious or whatever it might be. And then you find there's not only th- thousands of other people, but there are thousands of other people who also thought they were alone. So when I'm like laying down and going like, what if I died today? My podcast really is the thing that I'm like, that was really giving back. That, that mm. was like unfiltered. I'm proudest of that. There's other things I've done that are entertaining and that has their place. And, and they have moments of profundity as well. But the podcast is really just like, hey, we're all together. You're not alone. It's okay. I benefit, you benefit. It really feels very human. It's very high tech, but it's also very low tech at the same time. It's just a conversation, and it's got to yeah. be
2: so different, Pete, than than having the to feel like you need to walk on stage and just slay. You know, if, if you're, you know, you're 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 doing something into the abyss when you're sitting in front of microphones at your computer. You're not getting immediate feedback. You're not getting laughs. I'm sure you're saying funny stuff. You and your wife are doing things that are you know, interesting to listen to, but there's no immediate feedback. Uh, and, and so it, it's got to scratch a different itch or exercise different muscles than, than you typically get to from how
0: we know you. But that's, you know, it's a real danger, uh, to play for the laugh. That's what stand up is certainly is you're, you're really getting feedback every microsecond, not just laughs, but the silence, the quality of the silence, is it a tense silence? Is it an excited silence? Like you're really, it's very exhausting, uh, but it's also very, um, it's like rock climbing, I have to imagine, meaning you're not thinking about anything else. If you're doing stand-up, you're really present and that's what can make it such a joy, not just the laughs, but like you really get lost in it. But then you start to create a certain type of product because the audience is there. Um, Brian Regan says the audience is like your instrument. You're going to play your instrument. When you do a podcast, you don't have that instrument. So you get these moments that are much more unexpected. You might have a, a setup, and then an hour and a half later, the punchline comes. Mm-hmm. Like, And it's just a, a different kind of art form that reminds me of the times in my life. There are very few, unfortunate, but like where you're having such a great conversation, you're having lunch having such a great conversation that you actually end up having dinner. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you've ever done that.
3: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's been a long times, time. That's what I mean. And it's not as hard as it seems, uh, but those are always the, the best moments of my life are like unexpected, great conversations. And then I find when you put people into the, the scenario, especially with, with, with my podcast, it's like, it's a safe place. That's a, it's a big thing with therapy too. You, you're like, you are safe this is not a gotcha show if mm-hmm. you say something and you don't like it you email me a week later we'll take it out it's it's, mm-hmm. it's your episode i'm not here to get you um but i'm also going to overshare a lot and that's a beautiful way of minimizing our issues you know it, it sounds like when we talk about depression for example be really depersonalizing meaning it's the depression. It's this thing that we can talk about and laugh about. That can be a, a helpful strategy to, to feeling a little bit better, at least less alone. Um, and then we're also gonna talk about deep stuff. And everybody always starts at the same place. Most of my guests are like, I don't believe in God or anything like that. But then they do have some really interesting framework for reality or the mystery of consciousness that no one ever asked them. Because most people just stop at I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic or I'm not religious. And then the conversation stops. But that's like a really underserved community. And that's most people. Like most people I know are disillusioned with religion. But if you were on a long-ass car ride with them, you might start telling that weird ghost story or that weird uh, mushroom trip you had or whatever it might be that made you wonder about the fabric of reality. But most conversations, because of the containers that we've created, you're Mm -hmm. either religious or not religious, you're spiritual or not spiritual. You have to be staying in linen pants if you want to talk about you know, astral projection, but like I'm, I'm saying like anybody can talk about that. Let let's get safe and let's get weird. That's sort of the yeah, idea.
1: I love that. That's so great. I mean, even on the topic of religion, I fall into that category of I'm not religious. I think, but I'm definitely there's something. You know what I mean? Um, but that's very cool. I love the way that you approach all of this. And I can I can say that for the year or two that I've been doing podcasting. The feedback and once I do read comments, which I don't usually do, is when I actually have this fulfillment, you know, where it's not just about downloads and trying to sell ads. There's actually meaning behind the fodder, you know, the conversations that Joe and I are having with our guests or that my sister and I are having with our guests. And when you can touch people, it's really that's where it's at. You know what I mean? That's. Where I get emotional when we do, you know, guest feedback stuff, and we sometimes read them on the air, and it's a uh, it's it's a cool it's a cool medium that way for sure. But for sure. I do want to make money too,
0: you know. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, you didn't ask to be born into a, a system where we pretend that pieces of paper represent gold in a building, and you know what I'm saying? Like right. this is this is the game we're playing. And it, I, I find it helpful to think of it as a game, as as something that's not ultimately real. But if you can make, if you can play that game while participating in something that is actually real, which is human connection, and a little bit of presence, and a little bit of expansion, and a little bit of compassion, yeah, I I sell ads on my podcast too. I could feel dirty about that. I think there are some people that, that might encourage me to feel dirty about that. Um, I have a a certain friend who does a podcast It's a spiritual podcast and he doesn't do ads on it. And I tell him how easy it is to do ads. And I give him leads and I say, you should email these people or these people and he doesn't do it. And I 100% get that. I'm like, that is so pure. It's Mm -hmm. so beautiful. Um, and I admire that. And during the quarantine, when I had no other way of working or supporting family, I was really glad that I had ads on my podcast. What I try to do to get over the moral conundrum is I'm just very honest. I go, if Mm -hmm. you like this show, it's a free show. It will always Mm -hmm. be a free show. We've had offers to get bought out and go behind a paywall or whatever it might be. We're not going to do that. You can all skip the ads, but if you want to support the show, and I I mean we say this. I don't know if this means anything, mm-hmm. if this is interesting to you guys. I no, say not no bullshit. I I use this stuff like everything we uh sponsor, we I actually use. And I just say straight up, if you're at the show, uh try one of these things. And that, yeah. and, and that's it. I'm not I'm not pretending I'm trying not to pretend like yeah. this thing saved my life. I go, I like this underwear. You need underwear? You like our show? Buy some, <laughs> buy some Like I don't know what else to do. Uh, but all, know, all, all of it, guys, if you start to pull the thread on anything, stand-up, a, a ticket to see me doing stand-up might be like $25, 30 I, I don't even know. That's preposterous. Sometimes I do stand-up about that where I'm like, don't you realize there was a time when we were just living on a, on a grassy slope and we hunted and we shared what we got and I'd just be the funny villager. I'm just the funny guy. Mm -hmm. My gift is storytelling and Mm -hmm. I would come out and I'd entertain you. And it would be preposterous for me to be like, I'm not going to tell you that story until you give me um, your hard earned, like good services, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But that's just where we are. I, I can't, I can't change it. I have to fly out there. I have to, whatever. But, but when you, when you really start getting into it, it's like you work a job that you, some people, don't, a lot of people don't like their job. So the job knows you don't like the job. So it gives you money for your job, but it gives you exactly as much money that you need to not quit the job. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mm-hmm, give you sure. more money. It mm-hmm. does a lot of research to figure out the exact amount of money to keep you from not quitting that job that's a fucked system it breaks my heart it really does if you'd like conversations
2: with comedians like today's episode with pete holmes take a dive into daddy issues archives and listen to our conversation with nikki glazer where we discuss all things dating weed mental health Sex while quarantining with parents. That's an odd sentence. And so much more.
1: (laughs) Well, it's relatable. You know, I I can relate to dating, weed, mental health, and sex while quarantining with parents. Everyone else should.
2: No, I'm just saying sex with (laughs) quarantining while quarantining with parents.
1: Right. Sex while quarantining with parents. And so much more. Yeah. There's a lot of material coming out of this. Um, My mom and dad... I mean, I just got into a fight with my mom in the kitchen because she's not taking the CBD oil that I got for her for her neck pain. And she's like, it tastes bad. So I was like, she was like, you try it. So I just did it and was like, it's nothing, mom. It's nothing. And she's like, she's like, I could yell at you about a lot of stuff. And then it just got into a whole thing. So um, I got to find a husband. <laughs> it's just all it comes down to. Hey, don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this short break with more from today's guest, Pete Holmes. He's going to blow your goddamn mind. Have you always been this thoughtful? I mean, as a kid, just, just sort of deep thinking part of Pete. You know, has this been from the beginning? And, and, and it, were your parents... You know, did they have the same philosophies as you?
0: I I love that question. I also love that you use the word philosophy because I thought I thought debate was this. I thought like uh-huh. debate class or debate club would be like people just kind of talking about interesting things and sort of here. You know, it, it ended up like being more like research club. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever right. in debate. Oh yeah, like research yeah. other things other people said to prove something that you're saying whatever. And then I thought philosophy was this. Was just sort of like a free form, but it was. But philosophy classes let me down because it was like studying. I think I would like it now, but in uh, I do like it now. But in college, I was disappointed that no one was listening to me. Like I wanted someone to ask me what I thought. I thought it was like a and like a platonic, a, a Plato esque discussion of like what do you think the world is. But it was more like read what this guy thought the world was and then regurgitate it to me. You know, like Western education. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like Debate
1: that. and then debate it.
0: And then and then debate it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which I which I I just wanted to do what I call like lava lamp philosophy. I, I've always been sort of a lava lamp. <laughs> I like that. I liked mm-hmm. the first taste I got of it was like when some the first time somebody said, how do you know this isn't the first moment of your life and everything else was just a memory? Or, or the first day of your life and everything. Like Total Recall. Remember Total Recall?
3: Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. how
0: do you know what was real and how how do you know this wasn't just implanted? Um, the movie Dark City, I think also kind of. And then The Matrix. These, mm-hmm. these movies started giving me a vocabulary for what I call lava lamp philosophy. Very very pedestrian, very like just for fun, smoke a joint. I, I didn't smoke joints. But I'm giving you mm-hmm. the, the the flavor mm-hmm. that I was always after. I wrote about it. I wrote a book called Comedy, Sex, God, and I wrote the way that I ter- articulated it in the book was I was a what is fire kid, meaning I know in science they told us that fire was a combusting carbon and this and that, reacting with that. And I was just going, yeah, but what is it? Like, what is it? And then that question became even more simple. And this is a, a, the, one of the foundational questions of my life is what is this? And there's what is this people, and then there's people who, and I love these people too, That I'm not putting them down, but there's people who are not asking what is this. And I'm always trying to remember, even as I'm talking to you on the internet in three different parts of the country, what is this? What's looking out your eyes? What's looking out your eyes? What's looking out Josh the sound guy's eyes? What is going on? Um, not even not even having an answer, but just sort of feeling your stomach up at the question that's, that's what contemplation is, is why should anything exist? Going for mm-hmm. a walk in a garden and just going, why this? Why this? They said the great sermon that Buddha gave was holding up a flower. That was it. That was the sermon. He held up a flower. And that is calling us to the question of what is this? Again, not to solve it. I, again, something I said in the in the book is science, and I'm a big fan of science, is trying to photograph it. Science is trying to reproduce it. Science is trying to catalog it. This is all wonderful stuff. It's what gave me my vaccine. It's what gave me the bridge I drove over earlier. Beautiful stuff. I'm not putting it down. But the mystic, the mystic is trying to feel it, experience the sensation of not knowing, to be kind of a conduit of the mystery of the un, unknowable and uh, shut off your brain enough to kind of flow with that as mm-hmm. opposed to answering like, well, this is karma. I go, what is fire? Because I get juice out of the question, what is fire?
1: Do you but meditate? That,
0: I do meditate. I'm not a great meditator, um, but I, I probably meditate. I would say I meditate every other day. That's probably mm-hmm. about right.
1: Yeah, yeah. These are all just, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I feel like, again, talk about relatability. You, know, you, are, you articulate this extremely well, but I remember as a kid, and I still do it, when I would drive past someone in a car and I would look at their face, I would almost put myself into their eyes and trip out on this that's idea that. that they are seeing something completely different. They're in their car thinking these other thoughts, having an entirely different life than me, and it would, it would right. trip my mind out.
0: I love that, and I think that's exactly what I'm talking about.
3: Mm-hmm. And when
0: I do that with my daughter... The chapter in my book about my daughter is called Luminous Emptiness because that's what a baby is. It's light, but there's no story to it. She doesn't know she's a baby. She doesn't know she's a a girl or that she has female anatomy. She doesn't know she's white. She doesn't know she lives in LA. I had this epiphany when I was in Italy. I saw uh, a ladybug crawled on my hand and I said, it has no idea it's Italian. And that just made me laugh so hard. (laughs) This ladybug does not know it. And I know it's Italian. I go, it's an Italian ladybug. <laughs> but that is that is my baby. And there are these great... I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I know Christianity has done a lot of awful things. Um, but I, there's a lot of things that Jesus says that I love. And one of them is that you should become like a little child. So you, when you were growing... If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, which he doesn't mean heaven. He means the eternal present. So... You doing that is a very childlike thing. I don't mean it's childish, it's childlike, Mm -hmm. meaning it's beautiful, it's good. It's good to contemplate the reality of your twin three-year-old boys, my goodness. And they're twins, they look the same, and yet they're having different experiences. You know what I mean? We're all underwater sandcastles. We're always moving and changing. You can be in such a good mood and then it can be shifted because someone said a word that reminded you of a word that was in an insult that someone said to you when you were in third grade. And you don't even know that that's what triggered you. But suddenly you're sad. Or suddenly you're happy. Or suddenly you're horny. Like, everybody is carrying this unseen burden. And that, what you just said, considering the the journey and the suffering of another person, is is like the beginning of a more compassionate and, and beautiful but essentially
1: world. we're just playing out the patterns of of our childhood in a sense because like you said we are born light beautiful light just blank and then we've we're imprinting constantly imprinting and now we are playing out some of these patterns good and bad throughout our lives and sometimes then it's up to us to go deeper to break some of these patterns to have a more fulfilled life. I've been doing all kinds of work on this shit forever, you know. And um so we are just a victim of circumstance, really.
0: Well, you just articulated it perfectly. Um why I'm interested. I used to be interested in spirituality because I wanted to be a good boy. And I wanted to go to heaven and I didn't want to go to hell. And that's a very – that's a that's a real flaccid dick model of, of why you're excited about <laughs> God. You're excited mm-hmm. about God because you don't want him to kick you into a furnace. That's like bullshit. You know that when mm-hmm. someone respects you just because you could fire them, Josh. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that's not real love. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's fear. It's nonsense. But when you start to realize – that there's what Thomas Merton and others would call the true self and the false self. The false self is that overlaying construct of your psychology, your conditioning, your past, your reactive mind, all good spirituality. It doesn't matter which tradition is, is trying to move you from that reactive unconscious place and move you towards your true self. People have different words for the true self. You could call it your soul. You could call it your awareness, your uh, your essence, whatever you might mm-hmm. want to call it. Mm-hmm. Val and I were just talking about like, everything I'm wearing, my haircut, this is all bullshit. Mm-hmm. If we were in ancient Greece, <laughs> we'd be wearing togas, we'd have uh, orgies, we'd have different sexual uh, proclivities just because it would be normal. Like, what are you, weird What do you mean you don't, you know, this or that? Mm -hmm. Like you do different things or would be wearing berets or if, if you got frozen in ice and you woke up 75 years in the future and everybody's wearing top hats again, how long before you start wearing a top hat? Because it's nonsense. Your baseball hat is nonsense. It's fine. My shirt is nonsense. My pants are nonsense. Everything is nonsense. And there's a freedom in going, there's a great roomie line. He goes, I walk through the market, but I'm not a purchaser. That's what Jesus means when he says be of in the world but not of the world. It's a nice way of saying play the game, sell ads on your podcast, but don't confuse any of that for your real self. You mm-hmm. you can kind of play any game you want. I made when this you, sure. the spiritual podcast. What do you guys no, want to No, no, I, lo- I oh god, I lo-
1: <laughs> No, no, but this is so interesting. This is so unexpected, but this is my <laughs> shit. I love talking about this stuff. I could go on for hours and hours. Turn on because- a lava lamp. I mean, it truly is just it, and you go back to the word debate or philosophizing, you know. But yeah, we could, we could go, we could go. Fuck. It,
2: so, Pete, for 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 somebody that that was, I guess, on track to be a youth pastor, was that was that something that you're? And, and you know, I, I'm the son of a broadcaster. Every time I do an interview with somebody that doesn't know me, I got to go through the whole history of my life, and it's the same story every time, just a different interviewer. So I, I. I so pardon me for asking you the questions that everybody asked after they've researched your life. Okay. But, but when you, when you look back on that time, was your mom the one who said, I, this boy should be a youth pastor. Was it something you were interested in and beyond belief in God or non-belief or being atheistic, or you have a hooray, hooray yeah. or <laughs> Christ leaning is some of this thought in in your opinion too deep to to just jam into just regular religion that I think people are are used to the the constructs of religion
0: well i mean it it, it does stink religion <laughs> there's a bono quote coming at you but religion is the temple after jesus leaves <laughs> um that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh D- david bowie said Religion is for people who are afraid of hell. Spirituality is for people who have been to hell. Mm. Um, and I, th- no, that's I think a good that's one. right on. Well, and Richard Rohr says that the way that truth, ultimate truth, you can call it God if you like, that word has traumatized a lot of people. So I understand if you don't want to use that word, but the way the mystery reveals itself to you is by great love or great suffering. So I would agree with that. In in my book, in my story, I didn't really have a rich understanding of God until my wife left me. She had an affair. I was 28, and that broke me because I thought God was supposed to look out for me, like a lot of people. You're like, it was like paying the mafia. I was paying my my dues, and why'd my bakery get burned down? I don't understand. It would make you doubt the protection of the mafia, and I I doubted the protection of God. But that really opened me into a much. It's it's very comparative and a little bit judgmental to say deeper, but. I went deeper I'll say I Pete went deeper and found different uh mystic Christianity so I didn't totally leave Christianity but mystical Christianity is a much more experiential based uh, Christianity um, that has an understanding and allowance for suffering my my church was very like oh I guess God was asleep <laughs> when that happened right mm. and <laughs> and, uh, and then I started finding <laughs> Buddhism and Hinduism and and a lot of different isms that Mm -hmm. have have an appreciation for when something that you think you are dies, yet you remain, you must not have been the thing that you thought you were. If you're like, I can't be without my wife, and then your wife goes away and your whole world is destroyed, yet you're still there that begs the question, who are you really? You start to realize that the identity that you built, good boy, married boy, a boy that someone wouldn't leave, wouldn't have an affair on, when that's burned down, I look at the the metaphor of hell as kind of a good thing. Burn up everything that isn't God. Burn up everything that isn't truth. When my mom is talking to me and she's saying something and she's just completely misunderstanding me and I'm going, oh, I wish my mom was this way, I'm arguing with reality and I say, yes, burn me down. Burn the part of me that is resisting what is because what is is what is. And it's my Mm -hmm. job to make peace with that. But to answer your question, I wanted to be a pastor. I was the one that got into it. I got way more into it than my parents because when I went to church, I was like, these people are talking about the meaning of life. Why isn't everyone doing exactly what they say? <laughs> the, the answer is, of course, everybody in that church has their own quiet interpretation. But as I said this in my book, I was like, grownups told me not to stand up on a roller coaster. Grownups told me to brush my teeth. They told me when to go to bed. Sans stands to reason I would believe these grownups that have khakis and keys and wallets. They're telling me that if I'm... Bad, I'll go to hell. Of course, I believe them. And because I believe them, I I remember being like, Why would you do anything other than going into ministry? They would say, Well, God works through anything. You can be a car salesman and you can still be spreading the gospel. I'm like, That's bullshit. You should just spread the gospel. Like, that's (laughs) absolute bullshit. Of course, I don't think everybody needs to be in the ministry, but I took it so literally that it was my idea to go to a Christian college, it was my idea to become a youth pastor.
1: Man, did when did that did that turn? Meaning, did those those ideas change? Was there a moment where it was like, well, wait—just the divorce?
2: The, it had to happen before the divorce. I would imagine. There's
1: more. There's more to it than this.
0: When the turning point? Yeah. Well, my first marriage really was like a holding pattern. I I found somebody at my Christian college who was like me enough, and and I it was like a place to hide. You know what I mean? I was like, I can hide in this person. I won't be forced to change. I won't be forced to grow. Um, I won't really do anything new. Um, and when it went away, and I, I, the chapter "Heratheist" is when I played with the idea of being an atheist because I, I believe that even thinking, "What if there's no God," was a sin. And, and you'd go to hell. So it's, it's a real gotcha. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you go, what if there's no God? Um, and I had some really wonderful atheist friends. Most of my friends were atheists. Um, most of my friends are atheists. No, that's not true. A lot of my comedian friends are atheists. Almost all comedians I know
3: mm-hmm. are some version
0: of an atheist. Unless you push them. Anyway, th- you'd have to listen to my podcast for more on that. <laughs> you know how you get them, sidebar? You'd say, have you ever been writing a script or writing stand-up or performing stand-up and felt in a flow state where you're like I don't even know where this is coming from has it ever felt like divine has it ever felt like not you and almost all of them will be like I've absolutely written something that just yeah came but that's out of- that's
1: not but that's not religion you know what no. I mean that's that's a, that's a deeper connection to something bigger potentially that we can't really put our fingers on that is different for everybody, and that's why religion to me has always been very elitist. Because who am I to tell you that the God that you believe in is wrong? Why is my, Why am I right and you're wrong? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. That's why religion for me is, I, I don't know, spirituality, uh, again, I, I, it's hard to define, but I, I just feel what I feel. This is me personally. So when you're talking about that flow state – is that that's not religion,
0: but what is? What are you tapping into there? But I I would I would say that God, for lack of a better word, is flow, and and we can merge in that, and you can start to feel a connection that feels larger than yourself. That's just like but a what nice is, place,
1: to- I guess. But what is God? You know, when you say God, are we ta- What are we talking about
0: though? Well, let's get into that. I love that question. I did have something else I was going to say to you. Oh, I thought you would like this. It's uh, Reza Aslan who did my podcast. Um, He said, you have to remember, Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He came to reform Judaism. Mm -hmm. Muhammad didn't come to create Islam. He came to reform uh, a pretty lesser known religion. And Buddha didn't come to create a religion. He came to reform Hinduism. So these were people that were raging against the machine. They were saying you're, you're, you think God is in the temple. I I'm saying he's in the birds and he's in the trees Mm
3: -hmm. and they're
0: like, let's kill this guy. You know what I'm saying? So like being anti-religion, it's, it's similar to, to, um, patriotism. It's like a lot of the great patriots were the ones that were raging against the machine of what their country was becoming. They weren't just like good little boys and girls. They were like, whatever you say, they were, often after the fact, recognized as patriots. And that's certainly true with Christ. After the fact, people recognized him as a savior. But during the time, most people were like, this guy's picking wheat on the Sabbath. You know what I mean? Like, get this guy out of here. He's but saying, do you think,
1: do you think Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha, if they were to be put back on Earth right now, they'd be like, "No, this is not what I was fucking talking about. This, absolutely. this is all wrong, you guys. This isn't what
0: my intentions were." Well, I think I'd hope. Sometimes I think if I met any of these people, of course my mind would be blown. I would have this idea based on who knows what movies I've seen or what ideas I've had of how they should behave. And I'm sure if I saw them in real life that they would behave very differently Um, because that's what life is. Life is a surprise. Um, But, you know, Jesus says to the disciples, you'll be doing far greater things than than these, than the things that I do. So Rob Bell said, if Jesus came back now, he'd say, what are you doing still talking about me? Mm -hmm. Because mystical Christianity is about you dying and you resurrecting. It's it's about your virgin birth. It's about you being born again. It's not about worshiping and celeb or it's not just about worshiping and celebrating someone else's ascension. If you are being devotional and and loving Christ or loving Buddha, it's to awaken the Buddha within. It, it's it's not just to have a trophy case for their achievement. It's for you to wake up. That's the whole game is for you to wake up. Mm -hmm. So that, that brings us to the other thing that led to the second half of my stuff. But I want to answer your question with a couple quotes that I love about God, especially if people are kind of confused as what we're talking about. Um, The, oh, I forget his name, but he was the road manager for ACDC. He said it so beautifully. He said, God is the blanket we put over the mystery to give it a shape. And I was like, that's perfect. Mm. Uh, Because we can't talk about (laughs) an energy. We can, but it's not. you can't fall in love with an energy. That's what Richard Rohr says. You need an image. Carl Jung says that all human transformation happens by images. Like we need an avatar. We need Mm. something to pour ourselves into. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus was like, you're looking for God. Here, he's inside of me. But of course, he's also saying it's inside of you. But if you want to get to you through him, go for it. Um, The other one is Joseph Campbell. He says, God is a metaphor for a mystery that absolutely transcends all categories of human thought, including being and non-being. So it's really important. And this was a, a game changer and a mind blower for me. So don't be embarrassed if anyone listening isn't exactly clear on what a metaphor is. An analogy is the man ran like a deer. A metaphor is the man was a deer. So to, to broaden that out, the analogy is goodness and kindness and generosity is like an old man who lives in the North Pole and visits us once a year on Christmas. The metaphor is goodness and generosity is a man. That's a metaphor. We're saying things that are done secretly, he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, are rewarded. To make that a metaphor, we say there's a man who rewards the things you do in secret. But that's how you get the symbolism of generosity and kindness Mm -hmm. into a child's mind. Mm. Unfortunately, when we break the news to them, we don't say Santa Claus is a metaphor. We just say, sorry, Santa Claus isn't real. Santa Claus is real in the same way that music is real. (laughs) I mean, show me music. I mean, you'd play it. But once it's done, it's just a memory. It's just an idea. It's just an image in my heart. So it's real in a different way. So metaphors are sometimes true. And I'm sorry, always true and sometimes really happened. So God, the analogy would be God Mm -hmm. is like uh, an unknowable mystery that transcends the categories even of being and non-being. So it's outside of the realm of real or not real. Uh, But God Mm -hmm. is, that's what we say, God is a metaphor. God is that. That mystery is what we call God. So that Mm -hmm. would be my answer.
1: Wow. So coming back to the daddy issues part of this whole thing having a child, I'm now fascinated by your sort of not just not an interpretation but just what that made you feel in in the context of everything that we've just been talking about for the last 30 minutes. You know, because the standard person, I guess, is sort of like, "Oh my god, it's my child and I have this unconditional love." And yada, yada, but you have, you're such a deep thinker. I mean, did this shift you in any way having a kid or how did it did?
0: I would say that most people, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. I really don't give much of a shit what story you tell yourself or what label you put on the thoughts that recur in your brain. I have these thoughts that recur in my brain and therefore I'm this bullshit You know you're way more than your labels and you're way more than your stories. That's another great definition of God is consciousness, the feeling of I am. By the way, that sounds really new agey. It happens to be in the Old Testament. God says to the burning bush, who are you? God says, I am that I am. I am amness. So the first metaphor for what's looking out your eyes. Mm -hmm. And no, we don't have to debate that. Do you believe in the sensation of being? You're experiencing it. So now we're getting into mysticism. Not a thought that you think, not a group that you belong to, not a tribe, not a clan that you can defeat other clans and belittle Hinduism and Buddha. They're wrong and we're right. That's all ego stuff. Later, you just go, we're all in the same boat. We're all experiencing the same phenomenon. And what's crazy is you can sort of dip in and quiet yourself within that phenomenon and get the very clear message that there's something really big going on here, that, you are, are, that are, you're not a visitor here, that you're at home within it. And that's your, your dignity in God. Um, having a baby, I was saying, whether or not you ever identify as a spiritual person or a religious person it really doesn't matter. I think is maybe, for me, the most undeniable religious experience of your life. One of the reasons why I think women have a leg up on spiritual awakening is menstruation, for one, but also, two, would-be childbirth. It's a death. My wife died. She didn't die, literally. But there's who she was before, and there's who she is after. That's a new identity. So we've just seen the transformation. What is the essence that didn't change? There was you before you were a mom. There's this huge, bloody, painful, crazy experience, and then a new reality. Everything's broken into before it happened and after it happened. That's the religious experience or spiritual experience. Then you have can, this that, not, can that not happen for a dad? It absolutely happened for me. I okay. Thank you for asking. I didn't mean to exclude the, the male. By no means. I was laying in bed with my wife asleep. When consciousness, the greatest question, I would say the only question, when you log on to Netflix and it says, who's watching? I was like, mm-hmm. right on. Who's watching? That's the only question. I'll answer Pete because I want it my profile. But who is, what, what is watching? What is watching? And have you ever watched The Watcher? Have you ever, can you turn the flashlight around on itself? So I was asleep next to my wife when consciousness flipped on in my baby, in her womb. That is insane. And then you're so sleep-deprived, the baby comes out, and there it is, luminous emptiness. And you see, without ever needing a metaphor or an analogy or any sort of structure of belief, you see clear eyes. You see empty being. Mm-hmm. pure being and mm-hmm. I would call that god when i cook for my daughter i cook with great care cuz i'm cooking for the goddess i don't tell mm-hmm. her that i don't need her going around <laughs> believing that she's the queen of the world but to me and and you know what else i do when i talk to other people i go this is someone else's leela my daughter's name is leela you're someone's leela that opens up a whole another level of love for for anyone you're
1: now, do you feel like with that philosophy, though, you can get too precious, meaning you're cooking with that much care, you're pedestaling sort of this person, when in reality, we're just doing the best that we can. And we are fucking up our kids, I think. It's just to what degree, I guess. You know, we're all learning, you know.
0: Well, then we're back to the nature of, of suffering and failure. You know, there's a great Richard Rohr quote where he says, we don't come to God by doing it right. We come to God by doing it wrong. And I think that's absolutely true. So there are times when I make a very precious, beautiful omelet for my baby. And there have been many times when I just give her a piece of cold pizza. It It doesn't matter. She is the beloved. And sometimes I give the beloved a piece of cold pizza. Or sometimes, you know, it gets worse. We just have ice cream or whatever. There's lots of times when it's just nonsense. So it's not perfection. It's about the quality of your heart, like. But how who are you,
1: do you it. doing it for? Are you doing it for her? or Are you doing it for yourself?
0: I can't do anything for her. <laughs>
1: okay. So, so is it a, is it almost so it's for you in a sense? I guess everything's
0: it, about you. That's my point. Right. <laughs> so Leela becomes the the impetus that opens up in me the place where I'm love. That's a right. that's a Ram Dass quote repurposed. You get get rid of the idea that you, you can do things practically that help other people, but it, it has a lot to do with you. She is opening me up and then she's on her own trip. I look at it like gardening. I give her food, I give her light, I give her water, I give her space and I help when I can. But um, she's, she's already divine. I'm just here to help. That's what I say all the time to her. I say, I'm here to help, I'm here to help.
2: you're enjoying this episode of daddy issues don't keep it to yourself please if if we've been obvious enough about this share the love tell a friend about daddy issues go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
1: stay tuned you don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with pete holmes you really don't coming up right after this short break
2: I have a question, and, and forgive me for asking it this way, but it, first of all, I know you're easily eight times smarter than I am, so congratulations. <laughs> secondly, uh, secondly, how do you go about constructing a stand-up for the Chuckle Hut in Effingham, Illinois, in Illinois when you have this much depth to the way you think? How, what are you turning off... <laughs> To do, a I don't. I don't know where the little hanger is for my socks that they sell me. Does do people have the hanger rack in their house where they hang up their socks? How do you? and I'm not saying that's your stand up. Yeah, but, no, But, but, but you Yeah, it is Seinfeld. But how do you play to the masses when your th- the way you think is is, is very different in, in in the best possible way, in my opinion.
0: Well, my. Favorite teacher. His name is Richard Rohr. If anybody, R-O-H-R, if anybody is from the Christian tradition but enjoys some of the ideas that I'm sharing, he's a great way to go. Uh, He has a book called Falling Upward. That's a great one to start with. Um, He also has a book called The Naked Now, which is even better maybe to start with. Anyway, Richard is a hundred times smarter than me, and he's brilliant. And every Sunday, He gives a right-across-the-plate mass at his church. I mean, like, meat and potatoes. (laughs) None of this, like, but we love the Hindus, too, and God's a mystery. He just gives them the gospel from the New Testament. There it is, basic stuff, from my understanding. And I think that's because it's all in the game, meaning sharing laughs There's something really beautiful and freeing about a laugh. If I do a joke, I have a joke in my last special about Elon Musk is a genius, but he sometimes has diarrhea, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Um, Like no matter how smart you are, sometimes he wipes his ass and he has to go like, oh, not yet. And then he wipes more, but I don't trust it. And then he wipes more and he goes, good thing I didn't stop there. So it's literally just a joke about wiping your ass. Um, And it's one of my favorite jokes. I haven't thought about it in a long time.
1: It's awesome. Uh, It's the most relatable joke I've heard in a long time. (laughs) It's just the truth. I mean, you're like, God, one more. I
2: don't
0: know. Add a a
2: hemorrhoid to the mix and it's a day-long affair.
0: Trust me. (laughs) But that's, there's a gift in, what I'm saying is the ordinary is the hiding place of the profound. You know what I'm saying? Like, Matter is the hiding place of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And even basic shit like that, that I'm not pretending is profound. There's something really beautiful about playing the game. Let's laugh. I have a brain that likes to come up with things that are funny and silly. It doesn't always have to be profound. And guess what? A lot of people might talk to me and they're going to stop right as, as soon as I start talking about Buddha, or Jesus. It's just gonna they're gonna go flaccid and they're out. But like there's something so it's like a banquet. Everybody wants to laugh. Everybody wants to sit down and forget their troubles. And in that moment, when you're laughing, you're not there. That's a spiritual experience. You're having a mini epiphany. I don't mean when I make you laugh, I just mean any laugh. When you're laughing, you're not thinking, <sighs> I'm Pete Holmes. I live in Los Angeles. I'm 42. You're gone. What's that mean? You're liberated. It, and, and you're joyfully liberated. Comedy can be tricky, meaning I've seen a lot of comedy that I'm like, this is increasing fear. This is increasing division, separateness. Um, it's, it's really creating an us-them system. It might be promoting the wrong ideas, in my opinion. Um, whatever. Whatever. So it can be a dangerous thing. Not dangerous. Let's not be afraid of it. But it can be um, corrosive, maybe. But I also think if you can get people laughing about the absurdity that we're all sharing, we can have these profound thoughts, but I had some ice cream last night and I've taken three shits this morning. Like, it's both. You know Mm. what I mean? It's both. Yeah. And there's something really beautiful and... I would say holy because holy is about wholeness, about seeing the sacred in the profane and not seeing a division between the sacred and the profane, being able to laugh. Buddha sort of has us beat on that. Buddha's always smiling. Why is he always smiling? It's because he gets the joke. He, he understands that reality and the fact that we take it so seriously is funny. It's mm. funny. Like, what were you worried about a month ago? That's a really helpful thing to remember when mm-hmm. you're worried. What were you worried about? Mm-hmm. And guess what? After you're dead, people are going to keep worrying and keep, there'll be more stuff to do. You're never going to finish it. That's a joke. There, there's there's so much that we think is real. And really the only thing that's real is, is what's looking out your eyes right now. That's the only, that's the pearl of great price. Um, Eckhart Tolle tells a story about a beggar sitting on a box and he's asking for change. And then someone says, what's in the box? And he says, you know, I never looked. He looks in the box and it's filled with gold. That's us. We're out there going, is, can I get some change? Can I get some love? Can I get more followers? Can I get more downloads? And and we most of us don't look in the box. And when you look in the box, you go, I don't have to earn the love of the universe. I am the love of the universe. I am God's love. I always thought God was mad at me because we made a God like us instead of the other way around. I said this on my Simpsons episode. I wrote two Simpsons episodes. I had the guy give a sermon and that was that. It was like we made this judgmental, angry, uh, critical God and we've made God like us instead of making ourselves like God. And when I look at God, I see diversity. I see balance. I don't see one type of flower, which would be evangelical Christians. I see millions and millions of species. I see diversity. I see newness never-ending newness, not backwards, forwards, 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 forwards.
2: Were you ever able to connect with Artie uh, during Crashing? And I, I know Artie from, from two different moments in my life. He was on an HBO show that I had. It didn't go well. He <laughs> went crazy on it. didn't go well is the biggest understatement of my life. But, but then <laughs> I reached out to him and I said, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm so thankful for you even agreeing to come on. And then I ended up writing the foreword to his second book. And I I would imagine, you know, this show was so important, I would think, for him, that you did with Judd on HBO. And I'm wondering, I, I feel like you would be so good to, for somebody like Artie, who I know even today is still really in and out and, and tough to get a hold of. I've had people ask me. I've asked other people. So were you ever able to connect with him in, in a deeper way?
0: Uh, I, I never got the frequency, the the meaning the, the go-ahead. Um, we spent a lot of time together. This sort of goes back to your other question. It's like sometimes the gospel, for lack of a better term, the truth, the way is just laughing with Artie, just trying to be with a friend and being a loving friend. And sometimes it's a deep conversation. I never got the sense that Artie wanted to have a deep conversation. I always wanted to tell him to, I'm sort of, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the power of psychedelics, not just for um, thera- therapeutic reasons. I don't know if you know this, but... MDMA, which is uh, the pure form of what we call ecstasy, has preposterously high efficacy when it comes to PTSD. People that have years and years and years of PTSD have one or two sessions on MDMA with a therapist, and, and they're relieved of that problem.
1: Yeah, so a little I, sidebar on that, real quick. Is I went to a place called the Hoffman Institute. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but really a really special place. And this um, this guy who was in my class. This is what he does for a living. It turns yeah. out, you know, he uses MDMA, psilocybin, DMT. You know, for veterans for PTSD. So just just picking his brain on that was really interesting. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. I'm I, I'm in some of those circles, had some good conversations. I've never done therapeutic MDMA or anything like that. But I, I have done MDMA, and I know the feeling of oneness. Mm-hmm. So I understand when a heavy trip is laid on you. I, I mean, a heavy trip like a big identity, a, a military, and, and having to do things that that you never thought you would have to do would require something pretty powerful to kick you into a higher perspective potentially. So when it came to Artie's addiction, I never said this to him because again, I really do think it's like knowing when to kiss somebody. Like you really have to get the right signals. You guys invited me on the podcast as a guest. So I feel comfortable to be like, this is me, baby. Like, (laughs) I like talking about this stuff, but you know, if you'd met me at a party, I wouldn't start going, God is, the blanket we throw over the mystery to give it shape. Like <laughs> I would love to, but ninety percent of my waking life is not spent this way. Luckily, my wife likes to talk about this stuff, so we we get that time. But um, I privately, I know people had trips on ayahuasca and, and ketamine. Two things I've never done. Two things that are very serious. Um, so I'm not even recommending it to anybody. But I, I was like, if I was in the throes of an addiction, I know some, some accounts of people taking ayahuasca. Here, You know, this is the only thing I can say experientially. The first time I did mushrooms, I, I didn't drink for three months. And it wasn't because I tried to stop drinking. It's because I had absolutely no interest in alcohol. And I was a pretty heavy drinker. I don't drink anymore. And then I come to find out that Bill W. of Alcoholics Anonymous was a big believer in psilocybin and in assisting people to get off Uh, alcohol addiction I had a little experience in that Um, meaning when I was on mushrooms I said to somebody my girlfriend at the time I said this is what I've been looking for so I was drinking you know alcohol to kind of get me loose but I didn't really want looseness I wanted connection I wanted to feel at home in the universe and that was my first trip experience so I again I'm not even saying this to Artie I'm not like send this to Artie this is what I'm saying The thing that I always had on the tip of my tongue was because I know how earnestly he wants to be and remain sober. Like I believe him when he says, he said a couple things to me. He said, heroin, stop doing heroin is like telling someone to stop breathing. It's like, it's not like, Oh, stop eating pizza all the time. It's like, stop breathing. That's how serious it sounds. Um, But he also said the biggest fantasy of his life is to stop himself the first time he either took an opiate or or injected heroin. I'm not sure, but he's like, I wish I could dive into that guy and stop him because he was welcoming something Mm -hmm. into his life that he couldn't handle that none of us can handle. Uh, But it was always on the tip of my tongue to be like, have you considered ketamine treatment? Just because. Mm-hmm. And
1: it was funny. My, my, uh, one of my, one of my oldest best friends is right in the middle of it. I think he's in his sixth or seventh session of, of ketamine therapy. No way. You know, that is being done, administered, you know, in an office and all of that. You um, can get it now. Know.
0: It's not that. Oh, hard. yeah.
1: No, he says it's, um, un- he says it's incredible. The way he described it was sort of, um, uh, it, it was it was almost like brain. It was like cleaning out your brain in a way. It was sort of a spring cleaning of your brain. He, he was just he's he's lo- he loved loves it.
0: That's what Joe Rogan said. He said psychedelics are like they move everything on your desktop into one folder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not that it's not there, but now it's a choice. Do you want to open it back up?
1: Yeah, yeah. God, Joe, I'm telling you, man. Let's
2: do it. Uh, we we talk it. about this, Pete. Every episode, it gets back to weed, mushrooms, all this shit. I'm the Midwest guy. I'm 51. <laughs> I'm you know. He's my LA friend. He grew up in Hollywood. He's trying to drag me to the dark side. My mind will <laughs> it's not, not, it's not allow a dark me side. What? Shut up. Side. Let me finish. My mind will not allow me to. Relax and get any of the therapeutic Uh, benefits of any of the shit that I would ingest because I can't turn my mind off. Well, that's that's exactly why you need it.
0: (laughs) Well, I Joe, first of all, I would never I have a big belief that these things you might have an interest in them, but they have an interest in you. I know that sounds pretty woo-woo. Meaning, don't worry about it. If it's gonna happen you'll know and you'll know. And and it's, again, it's like knowing when to kiss somebody. Like, nobody should be talking you into it. Right. I will say, that. though, that yeah. this is another thing that you can run into with meditation. Your brain will distract you while you're meditating. And the reason it's doing that, I believe, at least part of it, is because it knows that you're extricating yourself from identifying with your mind. Mm. So, of course, your mind... Or we could say your ego, if we want to be real New Agey. Sure, your ego has a self-preservational. It's it's ruling the kingdom. So there's never going to come a moment where your mind. I just did mushrooms on my birthday. My mind is still like I don't know about this. And I'm and you have to have a part of you that goes. I know. <laughs> like God. Yeah. Like there has to be another part of you that goes. You'll never be on board. I'm going to ingest something that is going to take you out of control. And what the, what it sounds like Oliver is touching on is like, that is sort of the point. It's, right. it's not irrational. It's transrational. If I could tell you you'd eat it and you'd be happier and all these things that's great. Or maybe you'd stop drinking, it's great. Or you'd have a heightened sense of oneness. That's all great. But really, the exercise, it's a, it's a death ritual. It's, it's dying before you die. So if you're into it, um, and this is still on the track of you never doing it, there's a book called, um, which is totally beautiful and fine, God is, the mystery is at work in you, As much as it is in anything, and you're doing as well as anyone. Don't worry about it. Okay. But there's a book called The Immortality Key by Brian Morarescu. He just did my podcast. Um, there's also a video on YouTube, it's called After School, S K O O L. It's a great channel on YouTube that I love. Um, but if you type in Brian Morarescu or the Immortality Key After School, it explains the whole thing. And it traces back psychedelics to ancient Greece, meaning mm-hmm. Plato. It's the it's the it's one of the forming powers of democracy, which, by the way, makes perfect sense because if you ingest mm-hmm. something that awakens you to the oneness of all things, suddenly you care about other things a lot more. So there's leanings towards democracy. But then he makes a very... I don't have time to get into it now. A very compelling argument that the um, sacrament of Eucharist, uh, you know, the bread and the wine was probably a psychedelic wine. And if you listen to the way that Jesus talks about the bread and the wine in the Gospel of John in particular, he's like... If you don't take the wine, you don't know what I'm talking about. You have no clue. You've never been there. You need to die before you die. The the quote is, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die. What does that mean? It means these compounds have an ability to awaken you to your soul, and your soul was never born, and your soul will never die. So it's dying before you die. But your brain is never going to go, that sounds good.
3: (laughs) Right, yeah, sign me up.
0: And uh, preferably
2: by a pool. That'd be great. (laughs)
0: but that that's just fun um there's also again weed you don't need weed um if you did take you know what it is what what is it you're you're the midwest i
2: I think i think i think you're right you said the right word i think it's my ego i think it is my inability to not Feel like I am in control of everything, which is well, which is a key to my my whole stress is trying to control my older daughters, my little boys, my wife, my ex wife, my you know my friends, yeah. my and 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 giving those reins up, which is I don't have them to begin with, is mm-hmm. hard for me to to even just just step outside of this like Mister Control. I, I but that, that's, that's
0: why the folder is still there. And if you ever did, trip, what I would say to you is, don't worry, you'll come back. That's a really important thing to remember, because you might go to some far out place where you kind of feel like you don't exist anymore. And yet you are. And that's a profound experience. But you always have to remember, you'll come back. And guess what? It's the same thing I'd say after a deep meditation. Don't worry, you'll come back. When you come back, it's right there. There's your neuroses. And I don't even mean neuroses in a judgmental way. There it is. Walk, be in the world. Just don't forget who you really are. It's okay. But here's here's the this is the real pickle. Ready? This is the <laughs> real pickle. The internet cuts out. <laughs> by, not doing, by not doing psychedelics doesn't get you out of the line for the ineffable, uncontrollable mystery. Because you're gonna die. Now that's not to scare you, that's to say. I have a post-it note on my wall that says, we all have to trust God. We all have to trust the unknown when we die. So you might as well practice now. You should practice now. Because you're going to have to. You're going to go and do something that nobody can come back to, with a with an accurate account of what it's going to be like for you to die. Psychedelics are death rehearsals. Um, you don't have to do it because death is going to happen anyway. And death, a good death, is the ability to surrender and to realize you never had control and to realize it was all just a big show. It was a passing show. It was a big dance. Your role as father, as husband, as ex-husband was all just ornaments on the tree, and you're the tree. And you'll still get that experience. Isn't that crazy? That's a total reframing of death. I'm saying it doesn't matter if your brain never lets you do it you won't be robbed of the opportunity to go, there's nothing I can do about this. <laughs> and there you go. And that's why the traditions <laughs> that I found after my divorce are all borderline death worshipers. They say love and death are the great gifts that most people leave unopened. Meaning it's not the collapsing of the real, it's the introduction of the real. You say burn down everything that isn't ultimately true burn down everything that isn't god including my body including my possessions my and and to do that with ease and grace even if your body's writhing and in pain if you can find a quiet place who knows if we can do it i'll let you know i'll text you please Mm. do (laughs)
2: god no
1: I, I, I Hey Jesus, man! I could go on with this stuff
0: forever. Wow, I,
1: I have so much. Love lamp philosophy, little, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got oh, a black no. light,
0: black light poster. <laughs> I know it's so <laughs> great.
1: It's so great. This has been an amazing chat. My God, I need to. We need. I need to do more mushrooms. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been a minute. I mean, because I do a lot of like this, the this the microdosing and the chocolate, but I don't microdose. I mean, I eat a whole bar. You know, but I microdose I of what? Uh, of chocolate, of mushrooms, psilocybin. Oh, you know, hey, good you. which is fine. People take little squares, but I will eat the whole bar. Right, so I definitely get to a place. But I, it's been a while since I've had a proper experience. You know, yeah. which I yeah. really kind of need right now in my life. Which is so interesting. You are coming into my life and having this conversation, I, I, and and I've talked about it. But I am going through. These sort of withdrawals on this Lexapro, and I'm quite not questioning existence, but I'm not feeling the way I, anything. I, I'm 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 just you know just fucking ugh, it's not there, and yeah. I need something just to break me out of this sort of uncomfortableness
0: or this yeah.
1: lack of feeling, you know.
0: And, and then and then I totally hear that. And then the real game is, and Joe, maybe you like this is, is it's not about taking these things over and over and over. right? You know what I mean? It's about something I wrote in, in my book was the reality of the divine or the mystery is not contingent on my mood. So right now you're in a dull place, right? You're, you're just not feeling as much or as you'd like to.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a real power in realizing that even on the days that I have, and I do have them, Oliver, where I'm just like, ugh fucking this again you know what i mean right. brushing your teeth brushing my teeth again mm-hmm. why i'm just I'm just a corpse eating again so i can shit again right. sleep again like that's what depression feels like to me it's like you want to go to the park it's like why run around mm-hmm. to eat why so come home and be like, remember the park? That was fun. <laughs> like, fuck off. What does any of that mean? It's stupid. <laughs> it's wasting time. It's, there's nothing to do. Um, that's what it can feel like. So when I'm in that place, there's two things. One is remembering that all of those mysteries that you've experienced on mushrooms or otherwise are still here.
3: Mm-hmm. They're
0: no less here just because you can't, your body isn't perceiving them. So there's a com- that's called faith. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. even though I'm not in the rapture of God's love right now, I have faith that it still exists. Even though I'm not seeing g- sacred geometry, I know that it's right there behind the veil of this reality.
3: Mm-hmm. And the
0: other one, Ramdas would always say, is the part of you that's noticing your depression depressed? And that, in my experience, the the, the pure awareness that's looking around and going, yeah. Oh, everything's wrong. That awareness is unaffected by all of that. And right. trying well, to Well
1: you are not your depression. You are not your anxiety. You know, that is a that is what's happening. But you You're are noticing not th- you are not that. Oh yeah. I mean I've I, I do I try to practice that. I mean, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy and you know the untethered soul, you know, talks about how there's a there's a a passage or a little chapter a section where and it was really interesting to me. We're constantly talking to ourselves in our mind. We're constantly evaluating and talking and judging. And, and what is that voice? Who is that voice? Is that's that right. you? Is that actually Oliver? What, who is the being who is constantly evaluating and judging and talking? Because you, you can almost hear that voice. You know,
0: I would say you are the awareness that's hearing the voice. Mm -hmm. So you talked about how do I get this depth into my stand-up. I've only done it a couple times. And one of them is a bit I do where I'm like, I don't understand why you have to be stoned for certain things to be interesting. Um, Because I get frustrated that people aren't interested in this. But I say, sing happy birthday in your head. And I pause. Let's do it. The three of us will do it. Just sing the first line of happy birthday in your head. One, two, three. How are you hearing that? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm tired of not talking about that there's something you can hear that I can't hear. You have ears in your brain? No. That's awareness. And when you realize that you're not cuz you can't be your thoughts. Your thoughts change. Yeah. You can't be your feelings. Your feelings yes. change. The yeah. constant is the witnessing presence. Yes. And so you don't
3: the observer. For,
0: you don't ask for peace. You try to go inside to the part of you that is peace. That's peace. The ego can't know peace. The ego, even if it experienced peace, would say, how do I get this peace to last? Will I have this peace tomorrow? How do I give other people this peace? How do I monetize this peace? That's Mm -hmm. what the ego will do with peace. The soul is peace, or the witness, we can say, is peace. So that's where the only... I write a lot about anxiety in my book as well and used to pray for anxiety to go away, not knowing any, any real method to... To quiet the brain. It's not about getting the right thoughts in your mind. It's it's letting the sediment in your lake to settle. And that's when you get a clear lake. You gotta be still, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to quiet yourself. And then you realize you are peace. You realize mm-hmm. you are love. You don't try to be compassionate. That's morality. That's bullshit. That's me being right. phony, being like, right. I love <laughs> your t-shirt, Oliver. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's a learned pack behavior, so you'll give yeah. me $50, you know? Yeah. But if I can recognize like you did in the car that what's looking out of your eyes is the same thing that's looking out of my eyes, and that goes for Trump, that whatever complicated person you might have, it goes for anybody, then you can have – you don't have compassion. You become compassion. Mm-hmm. Oh God, this is amazing. This is I'm great.
2: buying your book. When we hang up, which is coming now, I am going right online and buying your book. So thank you. Um, I, this is like so different than I ever expected. So
0: I appreciate you, you guys letting me talk great. about this
1: stuff. No, this I love really talking fun, about man. it. Did you shoot your pilot um, for CBS yet?
0: We just shot it last week. Yeah. We you did. just shot it last week. Yeah. How'd it go? And you, not to make that all spiritual, <laughs> but you know what I like about <laughs> shooting a pilot? First of all, people have a lot of DMT experiences. I've never smoked DMT, but... Um, where they realize they're on a TV set like that's, that's how the chemical communicates to you that it's yeah. all the show and the yeah. walls fall down and the studio walls fall down and all these things. So I, I liked, I like that when someone's telling me where to go, what to do, where to stand and what to say, which is the job of an actor, all I have to spend my energy on is being grateful, being present and being kind. And that becomes an incredible opportunity to... I kept saying that if there was a break, this is an epiphany, if you want to call it that, I had on my last mushroom trip. The mushroom said to me, it's all an excuse to be together. So it's sort of like what we were saying at the beginning. We do this podcast, we sell ads, people listen, whatever. But even the people listening, we're being together with you. This is an excuse to be together. And if you could think, this will be my one last trippy thought. If there mm-hmm. was one original consciousness... Uh, that's split into many consciousnesses. What is that? That's an excuse to play with itself. <laughs> that's what my daughter's name. My daughter's name is Leela. Lila means the dance of the universe. Means the play of the universe, like theater, like a play. And that, to use it in a sentence, you would say, uh, "I'd say, Joe, if you're worried about whether or not you should do psychedelics or not, relax. It's all Leela. It it it's a it's a dance. I want you." to be the Midwest man with two three-year-old boys. I don't think it's a good time. Wondering, dance that dance. I'm over here dancing this dance. And your dance is a reaction and a response to my dance. I don't want you to dance my dance. That would be a freaky weird dance. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. It's all in the game. And that's what her name means. So even if she's not trippy, we sort of named her, I don't want to say the meaning of life, but one way of looking at the meaning of life.
1: That's awesome, amazing. Here's why he's well,
2: asking you about your pilot, because um, Oliver shot a pilot. Well, we I, we're, for w- CBS. Well, I
1: I have I did a show for I did a pilot for CBS. We shot it in December. It's myself and Malin Ackerman and Vanessa Lachey. And you know, basically, the actors the actors um, contracts lapsed March 31st. They had to pick us up by then. They didn't pick us up, but they didn't kill us Not because yet. of you because of your show and then i think elizabeth hurley's show they have to shoot some more yeah. so we're being thrown into the mix now in may that is if none of the actors sort of get gigs so hopefully uh, you and i can be on the same how oh, that would be so fun
0: no nah, yeah. i know
1: it would be fun it okay, would be I'll, fun
0: i have to tell you this because i love it there's this great You can find it, Alan Watts tells it better than I do. If you type in on YouTube, Alan Watts, perhaps, but I find the story to be so comforting. There's a Chinese farmer uh, and his barn burned down and everybody said, oh, it's terrible, your barn burned down. And he said, perhaps, everybody's like, what's that mean? And then in the rubble of the barn, they found a box of gold and uh, everybody said, oh, you found this gold, that's great news. And he'd say, perhaps. And then the government came and seized the gold, <laughs> and it, you know. It, it goes on and on like this. His yeah. son breaks his leg. What a bad, what a bad fortune! And it say perhaps. Then the army comes recruiting all able-bodied men, and his son isn't taken. And they say what a mitzvah. And he says perhaps. But it's this. It's this wonderful attitude to have. Your show is picked up. What a great thing! Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Oh, your show isn't picked up. What a horrible thing! Perhaps. It's a all really right. good attitude to have. And Ooh, I'm trying to have cool. it. I really want uh, my show to get picked up because it was so fun to do, but it's yeah. all keep in touch with that perhaps energy. Cause we don't no, know I like that, but yeah, reality no. reigns reality. You don't have to believe in reality. It's happening. It's unfolding <laughs> in front of you. And, and the, the prayer thy will be done is one of the most hardcore prayers you can pray. If you're a Christian and you want to meditate, but you don't want to use like a Sanskrit mantra, just try thy will be done. That, Joe, that psychedelics, saying, thy will be done, and meaning it, Oh, right. that'll break you. That'll break you. Man.
2: Okay. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Okay. You get, okay. <laughs> shit. I, I, just, it's, I feel like it's coming at me from every direction, but I think you're right. Two, three-year-olds, It's this now is probably not the time, and I'm going to do my own goddamn dance. That's right. That's do your right. own dance. Yeah. I love
0: your dance. I only Unless exist... In relation to your dance. The guy who does psychedelics only defines himself by the guy who doesn't do psychedelics. You know there I mean? you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise unless I, no unless I
1: unless I spike your dance in this there next couple of weeks. If you do that, you know?
0: we're done.
2: And
1: <laughs> I would say I, if you did
0: a microdose, I find like thirty-five micrograms of LSD is very, very, very pleasant and mild. Uh-huh. That, and it would and I'm you know,
2: old enough to remember an after school special. About LSD, aka <laughs> Angel Dust, where high school kids were jumping off the Got roofs off, of their high school.
0: I remember so, that in uh, Daredevil
2: comic. I, yeah. I read that uh, <laughs> hey, that stuff worked. So no, yeah. I'm not doing. I'm not doing LSD. I'm not. Hey, you care.
0: are even a microdose. No,
2: not micro. <laughs> anything. Not, not micro. Not macro. Not anything
0: micro well, no i i fully support that there okay, are other ways you. there are other ways to die. thank you
2: and i do like your t-shirt and i do like your stand up and i do like your show and <laughs> i'm not saying that because i want 50 dollars. i'm just telling you that right now i am going to give you whatever your book costs 28 dollars or whatever it is that
1: i will
0: give you thank you uh All well right. thanks
1: man this was really a really fun
0: i loved it i loved it and good luck with your pilot i hope we get to be on the lot together yes
1: you too man that would be awesome
0: god you guys will never leave lunch (laughs) i know
3: (laughs)
1: that
0: won't get finished because we'll just be talking about yeah (laughs) exactly all right right, pete be well thank you thank you guys bye-bye all right thanks
1: pete wow man
2: that that was unexpected really yeah that was an unexpected bomb that just went off Awesome. That was that was that was great. I oh wow. my gosh! Wow. I can't talk I mean, like I he, couldn't talk like that impromptu and remember quotes like that and their authors. And I mean, he just said them all, and I can't yeah, he, spit any yeah, of them back. This
1: is but it's pat. It's his passion. You can tell he's passionate about all of it: the spirituality, religion, the human condition. You know, the bigger things, death, life morality i mean all of it it's 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 he, he's way more down the rabbit hole right. in the best possible sense than i am but i i almost want to get there and and i will say this that you know again you talk about the perhaps which i fucking love by the way but perhaps that this is the conversation in the podcast that i needed to have right now for myself because that was perhaps. really impactful perhaps it was great not, i mean it's just you know it it puts things into perspective a little bit when you hear it spoken to you even though you understand it cerebrally and you i think that way i try sometimes you need someone to sort of reiterate it and reinforce some of these ideas to then take you out of a situation that you may be stuck in you know he was so delivered. he was great he was
2: hand delivered to you right onto your lap today
1: he was. It was that was awesome.
2: Perhaps, Perhaps. <laughs> uh, That and the the mental picture I have of Elon Musk having diarrhea. It's these are oh, these are the things that I will take. I oh, love yep. that bit though. It's
1: so Thank funny. Thank God, God I didn't see. stop yep it's, it's just relatable I knew relatable. That wasn't enough yeah. yeah it's not enough and then finally you maybe get two you get through two and you're like okay I think I'm good but then that one more you just dig a little bit deeper and you're like yeah. damn it Gosh, I should have just stayed surface <laughs> <laughs> why did I have to go mining I didn't need to go mine everything was fine and now I've mined and now I gotta keep going right Um. <laughs> anyway
2: that was awesome yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time this time. Thanks for your time. next
1: time. Yeah, peace. Peace out. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeart Media, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windisch, executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger.